Welcome back to Zach News on Riot Radio. This week we'll be discussing the following. The federal government is set to introduce a bill to relax drug possession provisions. How some Canadians plan to circumvent Ottawa's new hotel quarantine requirements for air travelers. The Conservatives are urging the House of Commons to declare crimes against Uyghur Muslims in China a genocide. COVID-19 vaccine deliveries back on track following weeks of delays, says the Public Health Agency of Canada. New Heritage Minute celebrates Oscar Peterson's legendary jazz career. And Scugog, mayor giving an update to the Chamber of Commerce. And finally, we will be discussing... Chopper Chopper, what's your emergency? The... Ajax Pickering Hospital getting urgent upgrades to its helipad. The federal government will relax drug possession provisions in the Criminal Code of Canada in a bill tabled in the House of Commons today. It will mark a significant change to the federal government's approach to drug possession, aiming to ensure nonviolent drug offenders are treated for their addictions by healthcare system rather than being sent to jail. According to sources, the bill will contain provisions to reduce the incarceration rates also among black and indigenous communities which are now overrepresented in the Canadian prison system. For example, certain mandatory minimum sentences related to drug offenses which have been declared unconstitutional by several Canadian courts could be revised. Through these courts, people with addiction would be able to receive treatment for their dependence that is mandated by a supervised judge in collaboration with community organizations. The move to promote alternates to incarceration would treat addiction as a health issue and not a public safety issue, says lawyer R.J. Raya for the Jurup. Clinic, which is eagerly awaiting the bill. She said that the change will help people and free up resources in the justice system. The opposition is showing support for this bill. The New Democrats and Greens have long advocated for a complete criminalization of simple possessions of all drugs, and Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has said he's open to less severe penalties for drug possession-related charges. We must provide assistance to Canadians who have drug addictions and help problems, he said at a press briefing last month. Drug treatment courts already exist in several Canadian cities, including Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. Some Canadians are changing their plans and their route home and crossing the land border instead of coming into the country by air to bypass Canada's new pricey hotel quarantine requirement. So basically what people are doing is they're rewriting their route so that essentially they can cross the land border instead of crossing the air border so they don't have to quarantine in a hotel for a few days once they first arrive back. So there's this couple in Arizona and they're spending the winter there and the couple originally planned to fly back to Canada in April. This however, was before the federal government announced last week that effective on Monday, most air passengers entering Canada must take a COVID-19 test upon arrival and spend up to three days at a quarantine hotel while they await the test results. So now their plan is to fly from Arizona to Buffalo, New York, and then from there take a tab up to the border and from there they would walk across the border where their friends will have dropped off their car on the other side that awaits them. 
So this is how they specifically plan to get around the rules. Um, other people could do the same thing. Um, technically, you can fly into the U.S. from a destination that's allowed and then cross the border by land, which will help you to avoid the measures. So some of the snowbirds who fly down to Florida may pull this move as well, where basically they fly up to Buffalo or Detroit from Florida, and then they cross the border by foot or they rent a car and drive across. And then in that regard, they're able to skip the pricey hotel quarantine that's required if you fly in. And then they only have to go through the getting tested part and quarantining at home, which is a lot cheaper. The government's rules, the government has said that it's rules different due to circumstances at the land border. And they say that most leisure travelers enter Canada by air and by funneling flights, all international flights, that is, into four major airports, the government can ensure that arriving passengers check in at nearby quarantine hotels. And this is um, Public Safety Minister Bill Blair says imposing the same requirement for Saul's number of leisure travelers entering by land poses a difficult challenge. At the land borders, we have 117 different ports, points of entry, and many of those points are located in remote and rural areas, not near hotels and other amenities, said Blair during a news conference. A lot of people are doing the same thing. Yeah. A lot of people are thinking the same thing. Last month, Ben Mallory, who lives in Burlington, flew to Lynchburg, Virginia to visit his girlfriend. When he flies home in April, he plans to land in Buffalo and then cross the border in Niagara Falls by foot. Mallory said he understands why the government introduced the hotel requ quarantine requirement, but he's still determined to avoid it because he can't afford the price tag. This is a 23-year-old e-commerce student who graduated from university in April and didn't land a job until September. A 2000 sudden expense would be quite devastating, he said, that would put me in a negative balance with my bank account. Mallory says the government should cover the cover the cost of hotel, the hotel bill or at least provide financial assistance to travelers who need it. Having to quarantine in a facility with these prices just seems a bit ridiculous to me, stated Mallory. The Conservative Party of Canada are calling for the House of Commons to formally declare crimes against minority Muslims in China a genocide. They're tabling a motion in the House of Commons today that calls on Canada to take the same stand against China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims as other countries have already done. The move is the latest by the Tories to ratchet up the pressure on the Liberal government to move beyond calls for an international investigation and take action in response to the situation faced by Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang province of China. China has been accused of using forced birth control to limit Uyghur births and detention camps to indoctrinate the mostly Muslim minority into the mainstream Chinese society. Beijing has denied any wrongdoing, saying it was running a voluntary employment and language training program. Liberals have said they have concerns about human rights violations, but Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has stopped short of echoing U.S. officials, human rights advocates, and legal scholars who say those violations amount to genocide. It's a word that's extremely loaded, and it's certainly something that we should be looking at in the case of the Uyghurs, Trudeau said earlier this week.
I know the international community is looking very carefully at that, and we are certainly among them. On Wednesday, the Conservatives pressed Trudeau on what more he needed to see, like his call for a further investigation to watching a crime being committed through a window, but then knocking on the door and asking to investigate. So there is satellite imagery of the camps, survivor testimony, export reports, recognition by both U.S. Democrats and Republican officials, and even a report by Canadian MPs, noted Conservative MP Garrett Guinness. The victims have spoken. The Prime Minister should believe them. Why the continuing denial, he said. Last year, the Liberals' then Foreign Affairs Minister did not warn that tough, tough talk on China could be met by further consequences for Michael Spavier and Michael Kovrig, two Canadians who have been detained by the Chinese government for 800 days. So this past week, there's been a lot of pressure on China. People have been going after China for their treatment of the Uyghurs, and so they should. This is terrible treatment. Also, people have been suggesting that the Beijing Olympics in 2022, this being the Winter Olympics, should be moved from China due to their treatment of the Uyghurs. And so there has been some focus on China. And, of course, in Canada's situation, the two Michaels are still arrested in China um, for the retaliation arrest of Meng Wanzhou. So the two Michaels were arrested because we arrested Meng Wanzhou for the U.S. So when asked Tuesday whether he feared using the word genocide might jeopardize the two Michaels situation, Trudeau, this is Prime Minister Trudeau, sidestepped the question. The conservative motion going before the House of Commons on Thursday notes that it's generally the policy of the Canadian government to act in concert with its allies when it comes to recognizing genocide and that it's already bipartisan consensus on the issue in the U.S. Therefore, the motion says the House of Commons should recognize that a genocide is currently being carried out by the People's Republic of China against Uyghurs and other Turkic Muslims and call on the government to officially adopt this position. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is expected to lay out the case for the motion at a news conference this morning. Earlier this week, as I already stated, yes, his party was involved in calling for the 2022 Olympics in Beijing to be relocated due to China's actions. The Tories have called for sanctions to be imposed against Chinese officials. Heritage advocates are calling on Oshawa City Council to save the McLaughlin family home from demolition by neglect. This home is on Simcoe Street, 195 Simcoe Street North, which was heavily damaged by a fire in 2019. So this Oshawa home has significant heritage value and is facing demolition after it suffered massive fire two years ago, but local heritage advocates are fighting to preserve this home. Obviously, the home is located on Simcoe Street and is associated with Robert McLaughlin, who is the founder of the McLaughlin Carriage Company, which later became General Motors Canada. The home was built around 1887 in the classical revival style and McLaughlin lived in the home from 1901 to 1919 with his wife Eleanor. It was converted into office space in the 1960s and hosted doctors and dentists before being left vacant. McLaughlin is also a former mayor of Oshawa and the house was also home to another former mayor of Oshawa, R.H. James. Warren Munro, Development Services Commissioner for Oshawa, explained that the city first received a request for demolition uh, permit from Nantuck Investments and property owners Sherland Changer in 2017. 
Heritage Oshawa is opposed to the demolition and has been opposed to the demolition and ordered a heritage research report be ultimately recommended that the property receive a heritage designation. Council unfortunately opted to label it as listed but not designated property instead of giving it a full heritage des designation. So if somebody files a motion of intent to demolish when it is listed non-designated, council has 60 days to oppose the demolition permit and do designation. So if somebody files a permit to demolish it, council has 60 days to oppose it, and then they have to make a designation of historic in February of 2019, Monroe said the property owner went to the Committee of Adjustment and received approvals to redevelop the house into an apartment building. But two months after that, a massive fire significantly damaged the property. Monroe said after the fire, the property which caused massive damage and left a large hole in the roof by a tarp was subject to property standards complaints and Changer was ordered to commission an engineer assessment on site. The city received the assessment in January of 2020 and stated that the house had excessive water damage as well as fire damage and it outlined two options, demolish or repair it with recommendations to demolish. This month, the city received a letter from Chengar stating his intention to demolish the house. Council will consider the issue on February 22nd. If council does not take any action after 60 days, the city can issue a demolition permit. Local heritage advocate Jane Clark, who is a member of Heritage Oshawa, but spoke on her own behalf, said she believes the home can still be saved and there are examples of homes in Durham's that have significantly been damaged by fire but restored. COVID-19 vaccine deliveries are back on track following weeks of delays, says the Public Health Agency of Canada. An updated delivery timeline says Canada will have enough doses to fully vaccinate 14.5 million people by June. Deliveries of COVID-19 vaccine doses from two approved vaccine makers, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna are back on track following weeks of reduced shipments, according to officials from the Public Health Agency of Canada. Major General Danny Fortin, the military commander leading Canada's vaccine logistics, said that 4,650 doses of the vaccine made by Pfizer arrived in Canada this week. That's the largest single delivery since shipments began of vaccines in December. Fortin said that both companies are on track to meet their targets by delivering a total of 6 million doses, that's 4 million from Pfizer and 2 million from Moderna, by the end of March. An updated delivery timeline released by the Public Health Agency of Canada says that Canada should receive millions more doses than originally anticipated between now and September. We're coming out of this period of limited supplies. It's an abundance of supplies for spring and summer, where we can have significant scaling up of immunization plans in provinces. And this is according to Danny Fortan, the military general. So there's been a lot of pressure on governments, but more specifically the federal government. The federal government has come under intense pressure from opposition politicians and other critics in recent weeks as the country's vaccine rollout has slowed. Pfizer began reducing shipments in January as it retooled its plant in Belgium. 
so that it could span manufacturing capacity. Moderna has also cut its shipments in recent weeks. The delays have caused Canada to fall behind dozens of other countries in measurements of doses administered by population. According to the Global Vaccine Tracking Database maintained by the Oxford researchers, as of last Saturday, only 2.7% of Canadians had received one shot of vaccine and less than 1% had received both doses. Pfizer has locked in a delivery schedule for the next six weeks to meet the end of March deadline. The company plans to ship 4,700 doses uh, next week and 4,400 per week next month, according to the federal government's vaccine distribution tracker. Moderna, which has delivered about 500,000 doses so far, will deliver a reduced shipment of 168,000 doses next week. Negotiations are still underway with Moderna on specific delivery dates for the remaining 1.3 million doses. It is committed to delivering by the end of March, but they are expected to arrive in two shipments, said Wharton. The territories which have already administered vaccines to 32.9% of their adult population will have enough doses from the Moderna's next two deliveries to vaccinate 75% of their adults by the end of March, Fortain said. So this is now an accelerated rollout schedule. The updated timeline provided by the Public Health Agency of Canada shows million, millions of more doses arriving between now and September than previous projections anticipated. It projects that Canada should have enough doses from Pfizer and Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna to fully vaccinate 14.5 million people by the end of June and 42 million by the end of September. If companies follow through with deliveries on schedule, that means Canada would have more than enough doses to fully vaccinate the country's entire population by September. A new Heritage Minute celebrates legendary jazz pianist Oscar Peterson's career. This is one that would really overwhelm him, says Peterson's daughter. Canadian jazz pianist Oscar Peterson's legendary career is being celebrated in the Heritage Minute. Historica Canada released the newest clip, Timed for Black History Month, in its ongoing series that highlights influential figures from across the country. The minute-long video chronicles the seven-time Granny Wimmers rise from a working-class Montreal family to become a world-renowned piano virtuoso. It touches on his encounters with greatness, such as being dubbed the man with four hands, and acknowledges the racism he faced at jazz gigs in the 1940s. Peterson died of kidney failure in 2017 at the age of 82. Both English and French versions of the Heritage Minute are narrated by black Canadian pianists. Oliver Jones provides the end narration in the English version, while Gregory Charles handles the French. The Heritage Minute is written by Bryn Brine and directed by Aaron Yeager. Known as the co-writer and the producer of the acclaimed 2015 film Sleeping Giant, 
Historica Canada also produced a companion video exploring the history of Little Burgundy, a black working class community in Montreal, and the jazz culture within it. The separate clip is narrated by Peterson's daughter, Celine Peterson, who, con- who was consulted about her father's Heritage Minute from the beginning. Peterson said her father received many honors throughout his career, but she believes he will be especially proud of seeing his story in a history minute. Scugog Mayor Bobby Drew will highlight a virtual township update planned for the February 25th by a local merchant group. The Scugog Chamber of Commerce will host the 2021 edition of its annual Mayor's Update on a virtual platform being at noon on Thursday, February 25th. The presentation is expected to last one hour. Drew will be joined by Ken Nix, Scugog's Chief Administrative Officer, and Robin Prentice, the Township's Manager of Planning. The trio are expected to share the 2021 vision for the Township and answer questions from the public. There is no charge to view the presentation. However, there is a limit of 80 observers who will be registered on a first-come, first-served basis. The event will be hosted by Jonathan Van Bilsen and will be broadcast by Rogers TV as well as broadcast on YouTube. Sponsors of the Mayor's Update include Dana's Goldsmithing, Port Perry Auto Glass, PP Print and Digital Services, and Voss, your independent grocer. For more information to register for this event, Visit www.scugogchamber.ca Chopper, chopper, what is your emergency? Upgrades are coming to the helipad at the Ajax Pickering Hospital. Upgrades are coming to an important component of the Lake Ridge Ajax Pickering Hospital. And this is to the helipad. The hospital must upgrade its helipad to meet the new standards, and the work has to be completed by the end of March. Susan Derrick, the hospital's executive vice president and chief transformation officer, said, To meet Transport Canada standards, we need to create a new flight path and do upgrades to our helipad here at Ajax Pickering Hospital. To meet the new standards... Orange a few years ago bought a new fleet of very powerful helicopters to actually do the transporting, so we need to do some upgrading to lighting, new fencing, repave our asphalt, as well as clear and extend the flight path. The flight path will remain as it is now, she said, and doesn't impact nearby residential areas. We're going to have to clear and harvest and prune some of the trees and the brush in the lot west of the helipad, she noted. The work will begin this month and has to be completed by March 31st. Cutting down and pruning trees has to be completed by the end of March, so birds won't be bothered when they start nesting in the spring. The helipad is on the south side of the hospital near the emergency department. Dr. Randy Wax said the helipad is important as it provides a really important access point for large helicopters to service the communities of Ajax and Pickering and all of the Durham region in order to make sure we get critically ill or injured patients to the right place quickly. We need that helicopter access. 
In medicine, there's something you call the golden hour of trauma, which is the first hour someone is injured in a mishap. You want to spend that hour being cared for on the way to a trauma center, not waving around for some other form of transportation to show up, according to WAX. Our hospital provides fantastic care, but if you want to be in a trauma center, you want to get there quickly. Having a helipad will allow the paramedics to sometimes even bypass the emergency department and deliver those patients directly to the helicopter, which cuts off a lot of times for where the patient needs to be, he added. If we don't have access to that helipad, that could potentially add some serious delays for care to these patients. It's critically important that the community has access to the helipad and that it is maintained, said Dr. Wax. The helipad won't be used while asphalt is being put down, so there will be short-term closures that are necessary to ensure the hospital has access to the helipad in the future, according to Dr. Wax. The helipad is used on average about twice a month, according to Orange, the air ambulance service in Ontario. Thank you very much for tuning in to Zach News on Riot Radio. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Don't forget you can follow the show on riotradio.ca and you can follow the station on Instagram at DCSI Riot Radio. And playing us out today right here on Riot Radio is the final countdown by Europe right here on Riot Radio. It's the fun.